you. Yeah, you. The one hearing us right now. Welcome to Cryptic Soup. I'm Thena. And I'm Kylie. We wanted to say hey and tell you about our podcast. It's a podcast we both host where we talk crimes, cryptids, murders, and a lot of wild stuff in between. You can find Mothman, Jeffrey Dahmer, SeaWorld, Spectrophilia, Casey Anthony, or even Skinwalker Ranch to be just a few of the crazy topics we cover. We even do some fun urban legends to make you feel like a kid at the campfire again. We're just two best friends hanging out, diving into all the things that your coworkers think you're a weirdo for wanting to talk about. We have a new episode every Tuesday at 3 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, and we're always open for case suggestions. Our Instagram is at Cryptic Soup Pod, where our DMs are always open, so slide on in. We always want to hear your opinions about any cases and episodes we cover. You can find our episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and most podcasting platforms. At Cryptic Soup Pod, the menu is always overflowing with crazy topics you'll want to hear about. So join the conversation today and come hang out with us. Stay tuned. Crime Scenes and Cupcakes is a true crime investigative podcast. We discuss cases regarding the assault, murder, sexual assault, or cases involving the abuse or abduction of adults or children. These topics can be very disturbing and a trigger to many individuals. So please listen accordingly. If you or someone you know is struggling or in crisis, help is available. You can text, call, or chat 988. This is available 24-7. It is also available in multiple languages for anyone who needs mental health related or suicide crisis support. It can connect you with trained crisis counselors. Also, if you are in Wichita, there is a local crisis center. Call 316-660-7500. It's Marianne, Dog Mom, Baker, True Crime Podcast Maker. And today we're going to talk to you about the case of Catherine Adam, because today is the anniversary of when she went missing 30 years ago, 30 years ago, 30 years ago, and people have not stopped searching. I see her face. I hear her story almost every week. People are still actively looking for her. She is loved by many in the Salina area of Kansas. So let's get into her story. Catherine Adam left her Salina, Kansas home before dawn on the morning of Wednesday, April 29th in 1993. The 35-year-old drove her legging, her legs, gosh, I almost forgot about those pantyhose. You know, the L eggs, legs company van. Okay, so it was a legs company van to a local quick shop. She usually went by there where she would go and bought gas, a newspaper, and a cup of coffee. She then headed to Triplets for the Triplets Mini Storage. It's located at the corner of Magnolia and Centennial Roads. She went there and she started to load the Ford Econoline van with the legs product she needed to complete her day's deliveries. 
And again, remember, this is 1993. But she never made any deliveries that day because when she stopped there to load her van, she was never seen again. Now, Catherine's 16-year-old daughter, Laura, she wasn't too concerned when her mother wasn't at their apartment when she got home from school that afternoon. It wasn't too unusual for her to come home to an empty apartment. She thought maybe her mom had gotten caught up at work or she met up with a friend on her way home. But as the hours went by, she started to worry that something might have gone wrong. Since Catherine didn't work out of a regular office, Laura had no way of getting a hold of her mother while she was at work. I mean, this isn't the cell phone era where everybody is immediately able to get a hold of everyone else. Laura's getting nervous. There's no word from her mom, but you know, all you can do is wait. And eventually she falls asleep while she's waiting. She wakes up early Friday morning with the feeling that something is wrong. Just something's not right. She gets up, she searches her small apartment for any sign of her mom. And it's clear that Catherine never came home. So Laura starts calling around some of her mom's co-workers and she learns that Catherine never made any of her scheduled store visits on Thursday. So Laura gets off the phone and she knows something's really messed up here. She calls the Salina Police Department and she reports her mother missing. Laura tells police she had seen her mother around 11 o'clock on Wednesday. Remember, we're now at Friday. She had seen her mom around 11 o'clock on Wednesday, right before she went to bed. When she woke up for school on Thursday, her mom had already left the apartment to go to work. Investigators immediately, I mean, now we've seen a lot of cases, especially in the 90s, where they're like, yeah, you know, maybe mom went to go hook up with a boyfriend. Maybe mom's into a little something, something, but not these guys. These investigators were immediately like, okay, we're listening to her daughter. There's something wrong. And they issue a BOLO. For those of you who may not be aware, a BOLO is a be on the lookout. They issue this BOLO for both Catherine and her white work van. That is the Ford Econoline van. Now, after speaking with Catherine's boss, Investigators learned that Catherine kept her legs inventory at the triplets mini storage. That's about three miles away from her apartment. She would go there each and every morning to pick up the products she needed to restock at various retail stores that day. So the detectives were sent to the storage facility to see maybe there's some clues there. Let's see if we can get something and maybe there are some breadcrumbs to where Catherine might be. Or hey, maybe she got hurt there or some weird thing. Maybe she got locked into something and she's stuck there and we gotta go get her out. Investigators arrive at the storage unit and the ship radar goes off. They knew they weren't dealing with a routine missing person case. The door to the storage unit is open and there is a small amount of blood inside. There's more blood in the parking lot right outside of the unit. 
as well as a few items of the Legs merchandise. Detectives have theorized that Catherine had been in the process of loading her van with products when someone had attacked her. Now, maybe it was more of a blitz style where they attacked her from behind, or maybe she had seen it coming, but more than likely in this type of situation, I could definitely see a blitz style of attack. You know, it's early morning hours, you're intent in work, you have no idea of what is coming from behind, which is why we so many times say, be aware of your surroundings and more and more these days, especially in these type of situations, don't go it alone. Around 6 p.m., investigators learned that Catherine's van had been found just two miles away from the storage unit. It had been abandoned in the parking lot of Russell's restaurant, which was closed at the time for renovations. Now, I find this interesting, but let me finish my thought here. The van was muddy, appeared to have been driven off-road recently. When they looked inside, they found that the back of the van was covered in blood and there were no signs of Catherine. But let's back it up for a moment. The van was found in the parking lot of Russell's restaurant, which at the time had been closed for renovations. The van was muddy and appeared to have been driven off-road recently. When they looked inside, they found that the back of the van was covered in blood and there were no signs of Catherine. Now, if you guys have not listened to the podcast or they also do a live YouTube, uh, there are two gentlemen who do a great show, for, especially uh, his name is Ricky. He covers a lot of the missing cases in the Salina area and he does great coverage for this case. And one of the things we have been deciding to do, and this is a case I have really been thinking and trying to ascertain if there is a good area to do a grid search of public areas. Because as you know, when you take cadaver dogs out, you cannot go on private property. When you're taking your dogs out, you and anytime when you do searches, so many people think if you are walking around, especially hunters, joggers, people always make jokes about how they are the ones that find skulls, bodies, those types of things. Um, but it, it, it's those they come across them. You can always go out on public property and do grid searches. And that's one of the things we have been discussing at doing on our YouTube channel of showing how we utilize maps. And we do um, walkthroughs on public property areas. And we just take the dogs out and we do walks to see just if we can find some. We do not disturb the property of any public properties. We don't do anything like that, but we're always taking the animals. If they get anything of a hit, of course, you know, we, we cease and desist at that moment and we will notify anyone, but we go from there. So back to Russell's restaurant, it had been closed for renovations. Anybody who's up to no good, they know it's a good drop off spot because you're not going to have a lot of people milling around. You know, it's going to be a quiet place. 
the van's muddy it's been driven off-road and knowing that that's generally something you would see in a quote unquote dumping situation when they looked inside they found that the back of the van was covered in blood but there was no signs of Catherine so there was blood in the back of the van but no body Investigators assumed that the blood found in the storage unit and van belonged to Catherine, but they weren't sure if she had been killed. It was possible that she was injured, but still alive, because you always want to maintain hope. Hope for family and hope for the victim. They appealed to the public for help in locating her. They also want to hear from anyone who may have seen Catherine or her van on Thursday or Friday. And again, this is in the 90s. This is before you have CCTV up everywhere. Now, after reading about the disappearance in a local newspaper, the overnight clerk at the quick shop on Crawford Street called police and told them he had waited on Catherine Thursday morning. She had stopped to fill up her gas tank before heading to the storage unit to pick up her merchandise. While there, she had picked up a newspaper and a cup of coffee. The store had surveillance cameras, which aces. It had showed Catherine leaving the store alone at 4.33 a.m. If someone had followed her from the gas station to the storage facility, they were not captured on surveillance footage. Catherine kept meticulous mileage records in her van. So investigators were able to tell exactly how many miles the van had been driven since she filled up the tank Thursday morning. Although police have never confirmed the distance the van had been driven, it was rumored. Again, let me just remind you guys, this is a rumor. This is not from investigators. However, what we have been able to ascertain from citizen detectives is that this would mean Catherine would have been taken anywhere within a 30 mile radius of Salina. Now, if you know Salina, that is a vast search area. We're not sure how much of that area is public. So I have been trying to ascertain that myself. I am not well versed in the Salina area, and I would love to hear from anybody who is local to the Salina area. I would love to get feedback because I am trying to go through that myself. Also, what I do as part of what we do is we go back and we look at weather patterns from that area up to local. Believe it or not, that is extremely important when you are doing cadaver um scenting with your animals you have to pick the right animal and you have to make the right choices and you have to do topography you have to know your soils anybody in the salina area um i am reaching out to k-state they have a great ag group i need to know a lot about the dirt in the area so would love to hear back from people in that area before we send dogs out there we also do have a GPR, so just a heads up to let people know. 
Police started driving through the rural area, searching along culverts and isolated fields. They paid close attention for any signs of trampled grass that could indicate the van had been driven there but came up empty. Their search was hampered by the fact that heavy rain moved into the area, erasing potential tracks. After receiving a tip from a woman who thought she saw a white van parked by the intersection of Burma and Magnolia Streets, investigators searched through a one-mile section of land near there. They found nothing. The Kansas State Police used their helicopter to fly over Saline County with a thermal imaging camera in an attempt to locate Catherine or her body. And again, you got to remember the time period. They flagged several locations where they thought they might have seen something, but when investigators checked each one, they didn't find anything relevant to their investigation. While the physical search for Catherine was underway, detectives began interviewing everyone who knew her in hopes of finding some clue as to what had happened to her. They started with her immediate family. Catherine was the oldest of two daughters born to Harry and Mary Swindeson in Atchison, Kansas. She was a bright child. During her time at Effingham Junior High School, she was consistently on the honor roll. She loved music and she was a member of her school's band and chorus. She also sang in her church choir. So she was a very musically motivated young woman. She went to Atchison High School and maintained excellent grades during her freshman and sophomore years. But soon she fell in love with what her mother called the wrong crowd. And you know, we all get to that pivotal point in our life. And sometimes we just, we make the wrong choices and then we try to get out of that. And at that point she made the wrong choice and she started using drugs, her grades declined, and her parents, they decided they just didn't want to deal with her behavior. And they sent her into foster care. And that breaks my heart because Catherine, she made a wrong choice. You know, she was so gifted and it sounds like you know, she loved music and she just, and I'm sure it was hard and you don't want to call out family members, but kids are rough, man. They are so rough and I, my childhood sucked balls. It was horrific. And in turn, I know me at times in parenting I sought, but you can never turn your back on your children. Even with all of the rocky moments I've had with my kids and still have, the one thing I always, and that I will always say to my children, is that no matter what, my door is always still open. I will never turn my back on my children. No matter what, has ever happened in our lives. You just cannot turn your back on your children. The mistakes you've made, you have to own them and you have to say, you know what? I, I'm just always going to be there for you. But 
they put her into foster care. Catherine's foster family lived in Hope, Kansas. And if you guys remember, Nelson Jones's case was in Hope, Kansas. And that has brought me back to where that the fact that their sign says that there is always hope in Kansas fills each one of my stories and each one of these cases I talk about that there has got to be hope in Kansas with each and every one of these cases. So I find it interesting that Catherine's foster family lived in Hope, Kansas. And she started her junior year at Hope High School. It was there that she met and fell in love with Gerald Adam. The feeling was mutual and they got married in the fall of 1975 when Catherine was only 17 years old. After the wedding, Catherine still managed to complete high school, graduating from Topeka High School in 1976. Gerald and Catherine eventually moved on to a farm in Solomon, Kansas. Catherine worked various odd jobs while Gerald worked on the farm as a truck driver. Ooh. Catherine worked various odd jobs while Gerald worked on the farm as a truck driver. Two years after they got married, their only child, Laura, was born. Although those who knew the couple believed they had a great relationship, this is before Instagram, but you still have those, it looks great on the outside, but on the inside, Laura would later say it was not a happy home. According to her, neither Catherine nor Gerald had really wanted to be parents, and they didn't seem to get along very well. Laura stated that her mother was a very involved parent who attended all of her sports games while she was in school and enjoyed cheering her on. Laura didn't have a great relationship with her father who spent most of his time on the road as a truck driver and he simply ignored Laura whenever he was home. In early 1993, Catherine apparently decided that she'd had enough of Gerald. She had two deputies basically accompany her to the family farm one afternoon and stand watch while she gathered some of her and Laura's belongings. Catherine and Laura left home never to return. In March of 1993, Catherine rented a one-bedroom unit at the Iron Crest Apartments in Salina. Although it meant that she and Laura were pressed for space, she knew it was only temporary. She planned to upgrade it into a two-bedroom home in a couple of months. She got a job with Legs Hosiery Corporation, and shortly after moving into the apartment, she knew that it was just the beginning and they were going to get better. Catherine had some reservations about her new job. She didn't like the fact that she had to leave the apartment while it was still dark and go to the storage unit alone, but still the early hours allowed her to have her afternoons free. That way she could be home when Laura returned from school every afternoon and soon she settled into the routine and everything went well until that morning of April 29th. Catherine had been tired when she got up for work that Thursday morning. She had attended a play at the Salina Community Theater with friends the night before and had been late getting home. It was nearly 11 p.m. by the time she got back to her apartment 
giving her just a few minutes to chat with her daughter before both of them headed to bed. But she was up and on her way to the gas station by 4.20 that morning. Everything appears normal when she stops by the quick shop, chats briefly with the clerk while paying for her purchases, and walking out the door with a newspaper in one hand and a cup of coffee in the other. Detectives assumed that she left the gas station, went straight to the storage facility, and started loading up her van, just like every other day. She likely hadn't had time to enjoy more than a few sips of coffee right before she was attacked. Investigators were unable to find anyone who might have wanted Catherine killed. Her estranged husband was interviewed extensively, but detectives were unable to connect him to the crime. Although Laura would later tell reporters that her parents did have a troubled relationship, Catherine's mother had nothing but praise for Gerald, calling him the nicest, kindest man she had ever known. Catherine hadn't lived in Salina long enough to make a lot of close friends, but she did bond with Maxine Rogers, the manager of the Iron Crest Apartments, like Catherine, Maxine was the mother of a teenage daughter, and she told police that Catherine's life revolved around Laura, that they seemed to have a very close mother-daughter relationship. Maxine was aware that Catherine was in the process of getting a divorce, but that she never really spoke negatively of her husband, and she didn't appear to be afraid of anyone. Now, due to the nature of her job, Catherine hadn't had a chance to get to know many of her co-workers very well. She spent most of her days alone, driving the Legs van to different retail stores to restock on the hosiery selections and let management know of any upcoming sales and promotions. Her visits usually only lasted 15 to 20 minutes. Store employees told police she was always polite and professional, but didn't really share any personal information with them. Despite their intensive investigations, detectives were unable to find any clue to Catherine's whereabouts. Her family continues to pray for a miracle, but officials admit that they believe Catherine was no longer with us. They assume that her white van had been used to dispose of her body and they have made several public appeals for information hoping someone, just somebody, may have seen that van in some unusual location that Thursday morning. Now they follow up on every tip they receive, but so far none of them have led them to Catherine's body. Within a couple of weeks, Tips start to dwindle and the case slowly goes cold. Investigators note that the sheer size of their county and the large number of isolated spaces where a body could potentially be dumped has made it nearly impossible for them to cover the area fully. 
For Catherine's family, the waiting has been excruciating. Laura, like her mother, was put into foster care after the disappearance. At a later hearing, she told the judge that she did not want to live with her father. Gerald, who refused to even look at his daughter during the hearing, told the court he was unable to take care of her and his parental rights were severed. Laura would never see him again. Catherine's parents, they try to hold on to the hope that she was still alive somewhere, but knew that she would never have abandoned her daughter. Mary admitted that she and Catherine had gone through a rough period when Catherine was a teenager, but had settled their differences in later years and had a close relationship. She and her husband offered a $1,000 reward for information leading to Catherine's recovery, but it failed to bring in any new leads. Months and then years go by, and the mystery of what happened to Catherine remains unsolved. Both the Salina Police Department and the Kansas Bureau of Investigation continue to investigate the disappearance, but have exhausted all leads and don't believe the case would be solved unless someone comes forward with information they need to finally locate Catherine. In June of 2001, Catherine's case was featured on billboards in Saline County. Investigators hoped that this would remind the public that she was still missing and it would bring in some fresh leads. And although a few tips were called in, no substantial developments were made and her case again fades from the headlines and again goes cold. Although Catherine's body has never been located, detectives believe she was murdered and her case has been classified as a homicide. There have been no new developments in years, but investigators still hope someone will come forward with the information they need to finally determine what happened to Catherine on that cold April morning. Catherine Adam was 35 years old when she went missing in 1993. She was just starting a new chapter of her life at the time. A new job, a new apartment. Things were looking bright for her and her daughter. Catherine has brown eyes, brown hair, and at the time of her disappearance, she was five feet, four inches tall and weighed 120 pounds. She was last seen wearing dark colored pants, a light colored blouse, in a Kansas City Royals jacket. Due to the circumstances surrounding her disappearance, detectives believe Catherine met with foul play. If you have any information about Catherine, please contact the Salina Police Department at 785-826-7210. Now, recently, a human skull was found in an area of West Salina in the same general area of the storage unit. 
law enforcement have not been able to make a positive identification of the skull at this time. The Kansas Bureau of Investigation is assisting the Salina County Sheriff's Office in that investigation. Saline County Sheriff Roger Saldan says it appears the skull had been in that spot for a really long time. And I know a lot of people think that with DNA technology that it should be fairly easy to type and find who a skull should belong to. However, even with the amazing technology advances that we have, when something like this is found, and it is something that has been found after such a long time, the amount of how degraded it is and when you're going back in DNA with the way you need to, and people just assume that you can pull DNA easily from something like this, and it doesn't work that way. It is actually a really difficult process. So many of us in the true crime community have been on the edge of our seats waiting to see, as I'm sure many people in Catherine Adams' family have been waiting to see if this could be a confirmation, if this could be Catherine Adams. And even if it is, then it just opens up a whole nother can of worm of questions because okay, if her skull would be found in that area, then why would her van have been found with so many miles off of the van as as many? I mean, there it, it would just begin a deluge. It would not just open so many easy questions. It would be just the beginning of investigation for the investigators. And as we all want desperately to just bring Catherine home, we also want to make sure the investigators, especially the investigators in Saline County, have all of our support in getting all of the correct information and have the answers that they need to be 100% and move forward in their jobs. In the meantime, we wanna make sure nothing falls through the cracks and everybody who has gone missing and all of these unsolved cases get the answers that they deserve. So again, an amazing resource that you hear, I go back to all the time, is the page uncovered.com. Uncovered.com, if you go to that page, you can go to it and you can actually click on Kansas and it will bring you to all of the cases then in Kansas. It has a database of those. Or let's say you live in Indiana or Missouri. You can then pull up 
those cases. You can pull up missing, you can pull up murdered, you can pull up all the other unsolved cases that go within there. If you are a podcaster, if you are an investigator, if you work in journalism, it is an amazing resource. I really recommend that you guys this, or if you check what sources might be available on the case that you're looking at, it might be missing some sources or some information that needs to be filled in with the gaps of that. You can become one of the citizen detectives to help fill in the gaps that we might be missing. Thank you guys so much for listening. And don't forget to DM us with any cases. As I said, we have an amazing woman who's getting ready to come on, who's going to share her story about her brother's unsolved homicide case. Ken Fay is going to be coming on to talk about the case of Ken, uh, Fasika Tadell. I'm really hoping Dateline picks up that case. We are still relentlessly looking for answers. We really think that there is something being missed by investigators in his case. And we think they need to go back and take another look. We are hitting massive amounts of signatures. And we are getting a hold of the Missouri Attorney General's office. And we're going to talk to them and get some focus on Fasika's case. If you have any questions, again, just feel free to message us. Thanks for listening. If you or someone you know has been a victim of domestic violence or sexual assault, whether it happened yesterday, today, or 25 years, 50 years ago, there is a place here in Wichita you can go. The Wichita Area Sexual Assault Center. Their 24-hour hotline. You can reach out day or night, 365 days a year. And you can reach them at 316-263-0185. They provide medical advocacy law enforcement and court advocacy, support counseling, support groups, therapy services, and educational programs. Please remember, you don't have to go through this alone. I also want to remind people, we have multiple military bases here in the Kansas area and multiple military bases across the United States and internationally and victims of sexual violence, unfortunately, happens a lot on military bases. So I want to make sure that we are covering and letting people know that there are helplines for you as well. So, if you are a victim of violence. You don't have to be alone. If you have been a victim of sexual assault, remember the assault was not your fault. You did not cause it to happen. It is solely the fault of your perpetrator. There are organizations there to help you and they are committed to supporting you and your family members in the most sensitive in private ways possible. So guidelines for reporting. Here is the number for one of the military numbers. They say to immediately report any sexual assault 
call the Sexual Assault Response Hotline at 759-HELP, which is 4357. This is the line for the Sexual Assault Prevention and Response, SAPR, Topeka Office for the McConnell Air Force Base. It's a 24-7 hotline. Again, that's 759-HELP. They also have one for the VA, and it's 316-759-1872. The DOD also has a support safe helpline that is operated through a contract through RAIN, Rape, Abuse, and Incest International Network, on behalf of the Department of Defense. RAIN is the nation's largest anti-sexual violence organization and also operates the National Sexual Assault Hotline. 1-800-656-HOPE and online RA1-800-656-HOPE and online.rainn.org. When you need to talk, telephone helpline is 24-7. It's confidential and has resources to assist. Their phone number is 877-995-5247. They have a safe help room. There is also a self-helpline app. You can go and you can download the app for free in any of the app stores. There are services out there to help. It is a self-help line for military personnel. When I attended Take Back the Night last night for our Wichita Area Sexual Assault Center, I have always thought I did a good job of making sure I was providing resources at the beginning of our podcast And I thought I was making sure I was reaching out to all communities and making sure I was trying to create a web across Kansas and reaching out into all communities. And it wasn't until I walked past one booth that I realized I had completely lost and never covered one community. We have multiple military bases here in the Kansas area. And I never addressed the sexual assaults and the needs of those families that live on those bases. I never talked about resources for those bases. And I never reached out to have anyone that works within those organizations on our podcast. And I want to apologize to you guys because... I want to admit, I never even thought of it. And I have been really kicking myself the last 24 hours that it wasn't even something that I thought of. Because as we, and if you follow our social media, I always say that as pros, you always train to learn. And... I thought I was learning every day, and obviously, I have not learned enough. 
and I still have a long way to go. But one of my focuses is, is if anyone hears this and they have a story to share, a case within this criteria that has gone cold that they want attention to, please reach out to me. Please let me know. I want to hear your stories. If there is something that you believe needs to be discussed, please reach out to me and let's talk about it. And remember, you're not alone. There are resources and we're going to have those resources added to our lines.